0: Hello and welcome to Interval, the Norwich Theatre Royal podcast. Today, we've got something a little bit different for you. We held a Q&A session after the first performance of Mark Morris Dance Group's Pepperland. Audiences got the chance to ask questions to Ethan Iverson, the show's composer, and rehearsal director Sam Black. Let us know what you think and whether you want to hear more sessions like this in the future. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Acast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. The next episode will be released on Friday the 24th of May. For more news on related events, visit our website, www.theatreoyalnorwich.co.uk. But for now, enjoy the Pepperland Q&A. For those who don't know me, I'm Stephen Crocker. I'm Chief Executive of Norwich Theatre Royal. And thank you for joining us for this fantastic performance of dance this evening. Now, many of you will know that um, about 18 months ago, we launched a new programme of international dance here at Theatre Royal and across our three venues at Playhouse and Stage 2 as well. And I imagine lots of you are here for the beginning of that programme back in the autumn with uh, Costa Danza and Carlos Acosta. And here's the next instalment in our commitment to international dance and um, back at that event I said to you then that for Norwich only deserves the very, very best so Mark Morris Dance Company was absolutely next on the list for us and it's fantastic to have the company here in partnership with Dance Consortium and now to introduce to you two members of the Pepperland Company Ethan Iverson the composer, arranger and music director of Pepperland And Sam Black, a member of the dancing company of Pepperland. Now, um, just while you think about your, your cues, and these guys will give you the A's to go with your cues, I'm just going to ask them a couple of questions and then we'll throw it over to you. So Sam, the more astute in the audience will have noticed this evening that you're not dancing this bit of the tour, but um, we met earlier on because you've had quite a busy day today in our stage two centre, haven't you? So will you tell us a little bit about the work you've been doing in the other building and being part of the company? Sure. Um,
1: today, I taught a class uh, for a dance class for people with Parkinson's disease, which is a program that the Mark Morris Dance Group started um, in collaboration with the Brooklyn Parkinson Group, which is a local support group for people with PD in Brooklyn, uh, in 2001. So the program has been going on for a very long time. Um, it's sort of, when you think about it, it might not make a lot of sense. A dance, for people who, a dance class for people who have severe movement uh, disorder, but the program has really taken off and it brings so much joy to so many people who need some joy and needs a sense of community. Um, and the class is spread to about 40 something states in the US and it's in like 25 countries around the world. So it's a really special program. Um, we often use sort of the repertory of Mark's Um, as a way in. So we taught a whole bunch of choreography from the dance um, that you saw tonight. And tomorrow I think all the students are coming and I told them that they're ready to jump in if somebody gets injured because they've learned so much of um, the piece. And I didn't dance tonight because there's always a dancer who is out of the show to give notes and make sure everything looks good and is clean and no one's messing up
0: too much. Fantastic. And actually, I saw a little bit of Sam's workshop earlier on. I think you were dancing to Dolly Parton at the moment when I looked in earlier on. And absolutely a beautiful thing to see and fantastic for us that working with Dance Consortium, actually, we can bring work not just to the stage but has that impact in community. So thank you very much for being part of that for us. Now, Ethan, you've had a long relationship with Mark and his company, haven't you? So this must have been quite something to come back to the company and be asked to take on such a task to take Beatles music, an iconic album. Tell us a little about that.
2: In the, 90s, in the late 90s, I became Mark Morse's music director for five years and toured the company, including the U- UK, uh, several times. It was an incredible opportunity for me, and I really regard Mark as one of my um, biggest influences. I would say, in my outlook about art. And then I, I went off and did other things, but we always kept in touch. I was in a band called The Bad Plus, which did the music to two of Mark's dances. And one of the things The Bad Plus was known for was taking on rock tunes and or, you know covering rock pieces with sort of a deconstructed attitude or something. So I think that's why Mark uh, gave me a call for the Beatles you know, the, the irony a little bit is that the whenever the BAB Plus was asked to do some Beatles, we all said, no, we never will ever do the Beatles. It's a terrible idea. There's nothing worse than a Beatles covers project. <laughs> but since Ma- it was Mark's idea and he's a genius and I knew that it would have some very sophisticated elements and, of course, his choreography, I thought, okay, this is actually an incredible opportunity to try to dig in and come up with our own spin on it all.
0: Fantastic, thank you. So this is about being a post-show Q&A, so we're gonna throw it open immediately um, to you guys. Um, We are recording this this evening for a podcast, and we don't have a roving mic, so if if you shout out your question, I'll repeat it for the purposes of the podcast, and then we'll ask these guys to respond. Who'd like to go first? Okay, so the question was, building on the work that we talked about, um, Parkinson's disease, and working with people living with that condition, whether you have a view on the impact the dance can have on mental health and how we can open dance up to people with those um, issues.
1: Um, my, the short answer is, Mark has a great quote, which is, dance is for anybody. Sort of says all you need to know. Um, we have a school affiliated with the with the dance group in Brooklyn, New York, we have over 2,000 students, ranging from newborns to senior citizens and ranging all kinds of abilities, physical, mental, and otherwise. Um, so it really is um, kind of the more the merrier, and we, we have classes that cater for everyone, or cater to everyone. Um, you know, the essence of dancing is joy, and who doesn't want more joy in their life? So, I mean, I, does anyone here have enough? No. Um, so, you know, we we sometimes do classes for different populations um, and they're all slightly tailored for that specific group. Um, but we we really try and reach as many people as possible. And one of my favorite parts of being in this in this company is that we have so many outreach opportunities everywhere we go on tour. We teach um, not just sort of high level master classes for dancers, professional dancers, but um, dance for PD, We're in the communities, we're in the schools,
0: teaching classes for everybody. So everyone's always welcome. What was also lovely this morning is also in Stage 2, one of Sam's colleagues also taught a class for our Limelighters dance company. And actually, we've probably got some of our Limelighters in the audience. It's our dance provision for um, people over 50. Um, and actually, we took a decision with our Stage 2 building that it wouldn't just be about work for children and young people, and that actually it was just as important for us to provide lifelong opportunities to engage with arts in all of their forms. And that was also quite something incredibly well attended this morning. Ethan, do you want to respond to, perhaps not just around dance, but also around the impact that music making can have around mental health?
2: I mean, anything you can use your mind, you know, to keep it going and, and uh, organize it in a positive and fruitful way seems to me uh, a, wonderful, a wonderful thing. I personally am probably going a little crazy from music, So we'll we'll see how it all works for myself, but for other people, uh, yes, I, I hope music can help.
0: Fantastic, another question? Is Mark here? And Mark's obviously, it's his company, it bears his name. He's been such an instrumental figure, not just in the company, but in dance generally. Is he here with you, is he still dancing? And perhaps tell us a little bit about the creation process behind this work too?
1: He is not in Norwich at the moment. He was with us for a big chunk of the tour and then he went on a little vacation for ten days, and he's meeting us in Newcastle on Friday, Thursday or Friday. Um, he doesn 't dance much anymore he does he has a very memorable cameo in The Hard Nut, which is our version of the Nutcracker that we do every year. Um, but he and i can't i obviously can't speak for him, but I think he was sort of done dancing, and <laughs> we'd rather go see a great show than be part of the show and he's still incredibly involved I mean. We work with him all the time, every day. Um, and he's always giving notes and, and changing things as he sees fit. Um, the process for this dance, it took about three months um, to put it together, I would say. And he was tweaking it right up until opening night. He made, I think he actually finished it a few hours <laughs> before it premiered. Um, and we would get some recordings from Ethan and he would fiddle around with stuff and then we kept getting new versions of things. and. Um, he never knows what he's going to do when he comes into a studio. He has 18 dan- roughly 18 dancers, and he starts describing something, and he often knows what he doesn't want before he knows what he wants. Um, so it's a lot of, no, not like that, no, not like that. Okay, f- yes, more like that, more like that. <laughs> um, but he likes to say if he knew what it was, if it was already made
0: up, we would already know it. You know, We don't know it because he doesn't know it. And Ethan, Mark is a choreographer renowned for his musicality. To what extent did you
2: have free reign with this, or to what extent was it a partnership? I've never really seen Mark um, interact with a score while making up a dance. The composer has to hand in the score and then Mark will work with it. That's why dead composers are especially good for (laughs) Mark Morris. It, since I was his music director for five years and watched so many great dances, including La Allegro, I saw that many times, I've had those evening length Morris works in mind when I was making up the score to Pepperland. I was thinking, okay, here's a Beatles oratorio with a, with these sort of classical forms and certain things, and I even had a little, some movements in mind, little bad Morris dances, which somehow he didn't use any of those uh, when it came time for him to actually use the choreography. But I guess I I felt confident that I could give him something he would want to work with and that would suit his style. And it proved to be true. Fantastic. Another
0: question. Yes, the lady here. So, the question was around the use of discord and dissonance, particularly, I think, within the musical score. You're, you're touching
2: upon, Ethan. Yes, I, I'm sorry about that.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, one thing that I say in these Q&As is that Mark and I treated... Sgt. Pepper as a familiar text, as a piece of folklore, or something that everybody knows. Sometimes I say it's sort of like uh, going to see a modern theater company do Hamlet. Okay, Hamlet's going to be there, but it's also what are they going to do to it to make it contemporary. The commission was came about because it was 50 years since the album. And it really feels like, okay, maybe there's room to do our version of it. And I think my own sensibility as a composer and as a jazz player is to find something a little dark, a little twisted, discordant, uncomfortable. And in fact, the first version of the score I handed in to Mark, he was like, uh, okay, it's, it's a little too dark, <laughs> Ethan. So um, I went back a little bit and brightened a few corners, uh, but it's, it's true that I think we're interested in complex emotion you can't just say it's one thing. That's already true of the Beatles album. You, each song is you can't just say it's one thing, there's complexity there. But for this show, Pepperland, I think we drill down further. You know, a good example is um, I get along with a little help from my friends, which is its quite abrasive, I think because I've always been kind of a lonely guy. so. You know, it just felt to me we should somehow feel like we don't have friends, at least to start.
0: Um, just building on that, this was one of my questions. Sort of in addition to the use of tonality, actually rhythmically, there are some moments where I guess it's a question for you, Sam. I think it's the When I'm Sixty Four episode. When I saw it at Sadler's Wells a few weeks ago, I sat there thinking, "Gosh, that looks difficult." Those use of crotchet rhythm—is it as hard as it looks? <laughs>
1: Not anymore, <laughs> but the first, time, the first time we did it, it seemed impossible and seemed like one of these insurmountable challenges. Um, you know, the first time it's like, okay. The first round it's like, yeah, that, I can, that sounds familiar. I can follow that. And the second one was like, no, a little less. And then the third one was, nope, n- <laughs> nope, have no idea. And now it's second nature. I mean, we, we rehearse a lot, and of yeah, course yeah. we get better at things. But a really fun story is um, the, the premiere of this dance in Liverpool, um, you know, we were a little nervous as Americans coming into Liverpool, of all places, and presenting this Beatles dance, how it was going to be received, and the audience was incredibly enthusiastic, they were super into it, and at the very beginning of 60, you know, it was sort of like, we were thrilled, it was so exciting, in the very beginning of 64, there was a lot of very enthusiastic younger people who started clapping along with 64, (laughs) and they very quickly... (laughs) Very quickly got a little muddled, and then. But like they were still trying, they were still trying to keep up, but it sort of it sort of didn't
0: work so well. But <laughs> fantastic. We've time for one more question. What's inspired you? What what things have you picked up on and injected into your arrangement and original composition?
2: Well, um, there's a lot in there. <laughs> one of the things that is on. The original album is of a big influence of European classical music. The forms are actually already very difficult. Your average bar band can't play Beatles songs from *Sgt. Pepper*. They might be able to play some other Beatles songs, but those songs are long. They're complicated. They have strange phrase lengths. You know, it's also famously, you know, one of the first um, albums that's like a suite. And ends with a, a sustained chord that was like the first uh, electronically sustained chord in on a pop record. So there's plenty to dig in, and I'm so glad that someone mentioned La Allegro. You know, I I really felt, still feel that some of Mark's greatest work is the classical forms. And so, in addition to the Beatles songs, I. There's an allegro, which is a thing that sort of sounds like Bach. And then there's a scherzo, which is a traditional form. There's a adagio, kind of a vocal form that, that gets used. And there's a blues, which is also a classical form. And, and so, so th- those are four of the references that to me were pretty obvious. And pretty obvious way for choreography you know, sort of a softball to a choreographer. Here you go. Here's a scherzo. There's a 2,000 great scherzos and probably f- uh, 400 great ballet scherzos. So there, there's a, there's a reference point there. You know, Mark himself made up many sonata allegros, including one to the dance V, which I know is toured a lot. The Schumann piano quintet begins with a beautiful sonata form. I thought, okay, I'll give mark a sonata form. That's, again, that's the Bach type piece. So that's some of the stuff that was, I was thinking about when I put it together.
0: And I have to ask the question because I was sitting up in the circle and at one moment there was a whole row of people leaning down to find out what the extraordinary sound was coming from this bit of the orchestra pit. Tell us a little bit about that amazing instrument.
2: Yeah, there's a theremin here, which is, it is fairly unusual. Um, Two things that I saw Rob Schwimmer play uh, Bach there on a G string on a theremin. I thought it was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever heard. And I actually saw Mark Morris before this project and I said, I know you like strange instruments. Boy, <laughs> have I got a strange instrument for you. And then the second thing was for the commission, the original commission from Liverpool, they asked for an electronic element. I think they wanted a DJ, or to sample, or hip hop, or something very con- contemporary and boring, in my opinion. So I thought, fine, we'll, we'll give them the first electronic instrument from 100 years ago, the theremin, and Rob is there knocking everybody out every night on this tour.
0: Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, we've reached the end of our time. Thank you all for staying. And um, would you join me in giving a huge round of applause and a huge welcome to Norwich and Norfolk, to Mark Morris Dance Company.